Welcome to the Rebel Physician Podcast, where we are creating a path for physicians to break free from the toxic medical system to create an enjoyable and a sustainable career in medicine. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo, push boundaries, and seek to create a better healthcare system for all. Dr. Don Baker is a physician, writer, speaker, and lifestyle design coach behind Practice Balance. She helps physicians and other professionals step off the treadmill of achievement, rediscover their true selves, and cultivate a practice of balance that's right for them. You're going to love our conversation with another Rebel Physician today. Enjoy! Hi, Dawn. I'm so glad to have you here today, another Rebel Physician. And I want to jump right in, like I said before we hit record, like right into the deep end and tell me about your journey and transition to becoming a Rebel Physician in whatever way that that means to you. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on this podcast. I love it. I have really loved the episodes. And uh, my story is that I'm a second career physician. I used to be an engineer, and I realized pretty early on in that career that I didn't have the freedom that I really wanted. I was very into travel and rock climbing as a young adult. And I realized that engineering wasn't going to give me the freedom to live anywhere or work anywhere that I wanted to. And I went into medicine thinking that it married science with service. And it was something that I could do anywhere because there are sick people anywhere. And if I chose the right specialty, I would still have the ability to travel and maybe even work internationally and those kind of things. So I went into medicine, but along the way, I drank that Kool-Aid of achieving and of pleasing and doing more and basically getting more responsibilities and the kind of more accolades that you get, the more things that you're tasked with doing. And Mm -hmm. I felt that. And I got pegged into a path where I was in anesthesiology and going to do a niche specialty. Mm -hmm. And that would have put me in the exact place that I was trying to get out of when I was a young adult, interestingly, uh, in retrospect. But what caused me to change my path again and go back to my original vision in medicine was I began experiencing some nonspecific symptoms that I thought were related to burnout. I had infertility. That was the one kind of medical symptom that I had. And it turned out after a long diagnostic odyssey that I had a very large pituitary tumor that was causing all sorts of hormonal disruption and was causing me to go blind. And I didn't even realize it. I delayed my own diagnosis. And um, this was my wake up call that led me to go back to my original vision for my life and redesign what I was doing, pull back the reins on the subspecialty and all of the achieving that I was doing. And now uh, my career is pretty much what I like to call counterculture as Mm -hmm. a professional. Um, I practice locum tenens and PRN only. And before I did that, I had 10 years at an academic institution practicing anesthesia, but on a very limited um, clinical only type of practice. And that was unusual at the place that I was working, but I had made an arrangement. And um, I 
live in multiple different places. I do travel. I live off grid part of the year and have a homestead and uh, homeschool my child and do all sorts of unconventional things. That's amazing. Okay. There's so much to go where your, where your story is leading me. I want to actually go back to the comment you made about drinking the Kool-Aid. And I think that we do this, right? We're almost kind of force fed it. (laughs) Do you remember when that happened? Like, was it as early as medical school? Was it later in your training? Like, or or was it just like a compilation of years of being in the medical field? I definitely think I'm always a a pleasing type personality and was just like a lot of people that go into medicine, very high achieving in academics, like in grade school, high school, all of those things. I remember even in the third grade being uh, singled out as someone that was smarter, if you will, and um, had more potential. And the prize for that was to... Um, do an extra report every single month. Mm. (laughs) And I did it willingly and didn't question it and didn't think like, this is extra work and I'm not getting anything for this except for being told that I'm somehow smarter or better than other kids in the class. So even back that early, but as far as medicine goes, I enjoyed medical school because it was new and different and the type of learning was different than engineering and the things that I had been doing. But then when I got into residency, it hearkened back to my engineering days because in anesthesiology, there's this particular niche area of perioperative echocardiography that really just kind of brought back those engineering equations and the physics and the things that I knew. And I I took to it really well. And I was told, you are really good at this. You're great at this. You really need to do this. Hey, here's this research project. Oh, go present this at the resident conference. Um, You know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And that was what got me really interested in kind of going away from the generalist practice anywhere have the location freedom and the schedule freedom that I originally had gone into medicine for. I think that you just touched on something that I kind of, kind of like lit a light bulb in my head. And it's, I, it's this almost like a, either a Venn diagram or, or a graph in my head, I'm picturing it as overlap of, well, I think many doctors find themselves in this place of being competent at something like I'm good at it. It's familiar And then it not really providing the fire, like the purpose and the, and the passion. And I think that's what happens. A lot of physicians get stuck because they end after, you know, there's something in medicine that they feel competent at. Right. And even though it's difficult, it's like, I know what to do. It's, it's comfortable. And they stay in there because they're good at it and they get, you're getting feedback and other people are saying you're good at it and it re- comes relatively easy for you after some time. So that feels like a place to stay, even though the passion and the drive is no longer there as much as it would be in other projects like art or writing or who knows what else. But I think that where we find the sweet spot and maybe you have done with adding things, right? And, t- and stripping away the medicine is finding the overlap enough overlap of competence and passion or drive. So I think that's some, that's a really interesting concept. I want to, I want to explore more because I I feel, I just feel like a lot of physicians end up in that place of competence, but no real 
it's like dead competence. You know, it's like, I don't really have, I don't feel anything. I'm not motivated by this. And it sounds like that's kind of where you were headed. Yeah. And um, I think I know what you're referring to as far as the Venn diagram. There's this Japanese Venn diagram called Ikigai, where it's like, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What can you get paid for? What can like be of service to other people? Yes, exactly. Like you want all of those things to happen at once, um, but it is difficult to get all of that. And I feel like um, what I like to say is that in medicine a lot, we, um, most of us are pleasers and are achievers. And you get on this hedonic treadmill where you need more and more achievement to get the satisfaction or to get that sense of purpose um, that you're craving. I mean, we all want purpose Mm -hmm. and achievement gives us that sense of purpose and gives us some identity. And I get that. I mean, that is important, but when it's your soul sense of identity or the, the thing that you're driving all of your purpose from that can be problematic. And that treadmill becomes that kind of feeling of like, I can't say no, I can't get off. I can't, make a change because I'm too entrenched in this. Mm -hmm. And so that's what now in my non-clinical work, I I really try to to help people to recognize where they are on that and to figure out how to step off and do something different if they're not being lit up anymore by, you know, their, their current situation. What's, what are some of the, either with your, with your personal experience or the, or the physicians that you work with, what are some of the biggest obstacles or most most common obstacles to making that initial first step? A lot of the people that I have coached or that reached reach out to me through my writing and speaking are people who either have an opportunity in front of them that they can make a change. It's already there. The opportunity has been presented in some way and they just need permission. They, they are stuck in a situation of feeling like they can't make that change. Mm -hmm. So there's that type of person. And then there's the type of person that does want to make a change because of some circumstance, but they don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And so people have often not done the self work to figure out what they even really like anymore that's outside of medicine, what kind of personality traits they have that might lend themselves to to doing something different that can bring them some joy, some flow-inducing activity that's outside of medicine or just hobbies. A lot of us in medicine, we we have ignored our hobbies for like so, you know, eight years or something mm-hmm. like that yeah, <laughs> because we haven't been doing them or, you know, even just like reading a book that is not a medical text or a journal article. There are yeah. years that have, that go by where we don't do that. Mm-hmm. And so those are the kind of um, people that I often see. Yeah. Perfect. And I think that's, that's probably really common. Like there's, so, I know that I, I can, I can see myself in both of those circumstances before I took my leap of faith. Right. And um, we all, I think we all end up there eventually, or we just leave medicine altogether. Another th- concept I want to go back to from your initial story is, um, the physical symptoms that you experience. And, and I, I do want to recognize that I think 
we're, you know, like they say, doctors make the worst patients. We are so good at ignoring things or brushing it off. Like for me, it was chronic daily headaches for, for 15 years. I would have a headache every single day for 15 years. And I would just take Motrin for it and ignore it. And eventually I went down the road of seeing specialists and getting a workup. And, and ultimately what ended up being is shockingly stress, right? Stress. And I was too much thinking. I wasn't in my body enough. I wasn't connected to my, you know, to source or my spirituality enough. And um, I think that many doctors have these sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle physical symptoms that are, it's like, your body is trying to tell you something about what's going on in your life. And we're so good at ignoring it either because we don't have the time to deal with it, or we're scared to take any time off, or we don't want to know what it is, or we don't, we don't care about ourselves enough to go down that path. And I don't know if any of that sparks anything that you want to speak to with regard to your journey or anything else. Yes, definitely. I mean, I identify with all of the things that you just said. I feel like that when you are focusing so hard on the achievement side and the medicine and the learning, the drinking from the fire hose that we all have to do in medicine, you are often ignoring somatic um, signals, but then also you're often ignoring a a mind-body practice. And so now I really like to help people to understand that they should incorporate, even if it's a few minutes in their day, some sort of mindfulness, mind-body practice, movement, um, being with yourself. But a lot of us just don't do that. And I definitely was one of those people. And so I started having symptoms like I I didn't have a period and I was ignoring it. I just Mm -hmm. figured, oh yeah, it's stress. It's okay. I I don't have to worry about it too much. I don't really want to um, get pregnant right now, but that went on for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a depression that I figured was related to burnout, but it was really kind of an unusual depression. I had never experienced depression in my, in my life. I had never had a family member experience depression. And so I didn't really know what it was like, but for me, it was like, a a, a lack of motivation to even get up and go do things that used to bring me a lot of joy, like mm-hmm. rock climbing, like moving my body, doing exercise, things that even in medicine, a lot of us still are fitting into our lives, but are we really thinking about it? Are we really present when we're doing it? Or is our mind somewhere else? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then I struggled with procedures that involved visual spatial, spatial awareness And that was the peripheral blindness um, that was related to my pituitary tumor. I had the textbook um, bitemporal hemianopsia that goes, um, you know, the board question with a pituitary Mm -hmm. tumor, but I didn't realize it because it was very slow and ongoing. And I think it was happening for years, Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden I couldn't place a central line and look at the ultrasound and look at the anatomy of the neck at the same time, or do a peripheral nerve block without struggling. And yes, in retrospect, these things all together should have led me to think, um, I really need to be diligent about getting checked out, but I was kind of going through the motions of going to the doctor and getting some labs and then just ignoring it for a little while. And, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of us really don't take our personal care, um, seriously 
because we have this cultural of, of invulnerability mm-hmm. and it's almost celebrated. Like I can go and work without drinking water for eight hours or I um, I don't go to the bathroom all day because I'm in surgery and that's celebrated. Or yeah. I, I go in no matter what. And even if I'm sick and I'll just get an IV when I'm in mm-hmm. the hospital rounding. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We've all heard those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't believe how much time is flying already. And I don't want to, <laughs> I want to talk, I want you to tell me about your book and everything. So it's called Lean Out, correct? Yes. I, I would love to hear a little bit about why you wrote it and um, who it's best for and that kind of thing, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's called Lean Out and the subtitle is A Professional Woman's Guide to Finding Authentic Work-Life Balance. Mm. And a lot of the concepts in the book do apply to men as well, but I wanted to write specifically for women because one thing in the book that I wanted to include was the important topic of infertility among physicians And yes, that can be related to male factor infertility or, you know, men can experience infertility, but women have these added roles in their lives of being the person that, that carries children, that births children, um, that has a very, you know, early childhood, um, caring role, uh, that that's very important. And so, um, I decided to have the book really more focus on, on women's health and wellness and well-being and work-life balance. So to my knowledge, my book is the only one that actually addresses this epidemic of infertility and talks a little bit about how it interplays with work-life balance and with the kind of overworking, over-hustling that we're doing in medicine and in other professions. And so really back to your original question, I wanted to write the book because I wanted other physicians and women professionals to know that they don't have to get to this point where they have a full-blown health crisis like I did, using myself as the bad example to, you know, to wake up and to realize that they maybe have gotten on that treadmill of achievement and um, need to make a change and need to get off, or that recognize that they want to be doing something different in their lives, but they're scared. They're afraid to go against tradition, to go against what everybody else is doing. And I really call it being a a counterculture professional because the culture right now is to do more, to lean in, to be more, to go for the C-suite, to Mm -hmm. um, basically add as much as you can and not necessarily take away, not necessarily simplify. And um, so the beginning of the book addresses those concepts and those problems. And then the second half of the book talks a lot about how you can break away, how you can challenge your rules, the rules that you've made for yourself that you're living by that aren't necessarily related to your values and your purpose. Um, And then ways that you can cultivate confidence to lean out and be different in your profession. And all throughout this book, I weave stories of not just myself, but other examples of women physicians, lawyers, accountants, um, tech entrepreneurs, 
who have done something different in a sustainable way where they haven't necessarily completely left their field because I really want it to not be all or nothing for people. I want people to realize that they've done all of this training and it's not all for not if you want to go against what everybody else is doing. You don't have to be the golden child in your profession doing everything perfectly to actually have a, a good career and a fulfilling career. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the especially the infertility thing um, affects so many and it's such an isolating journey. And I think it's really wonderful that you are bringing that to the, to the surface for, so, so people can learn about it and, and know that they're not the only one. And where can people, yeah. I'm going to link everything in, in the episode details, but where's the best people place for people to find you, get the book, that kind of thing. The best place that has everything is my website. It's a longstanding website where I've been blogging for over 10 years. And then now I have included my book and my podcast. And that website is called practicebalance.com. You can connect with me there. You can find out about my coaching services. You can link to buy the book. You can link to my podcast episodes of conversations with women professionals that are leaning out and doing unique things in their fields. And you can look back at archives and read so many different articles, inspiration articles, things um, about this topic, about um, stress management, about mindfulness and all of that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dawn, for being here. It was great chatting with you. Hey there, just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming, I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is Pretty Easy Podcasts. And for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself and I had tried to contract out editing and it was really got some really, really bad results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with Pretty Easy Podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and It's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out.